All right, please stand. This is Nehemiah 3, 3 through 15. The fish gate was built by the sons of Hassanah. They laid the beams, set up its doors, and installed its bolts and bars. Merimoth, son of Uriah, and grandson of Hakaz, repaired the next section of wall. Beside him were Meshulam, son of Berechiah, and grandson of Meshezebel, and then Zadok, son of Baana. Next were the people from Tekoa, though their leaders refused to work with the construction supervisors. The old city gate was repaired by Joyada, son of Pesea, and Meshulam, son of Besodea. They laid the beams, set up its doors, and installed its bolts and bars. Next to them were Melatiah from Gibeon, Jadon from Maranoth, people from Gibeon, and people from Mizpah, the headquarters of the governor of the province west of the Euphrates River. Next was Uzziel, son of Harhiah, a goldsmith by trade who also worked on the wall. Beyond him was Hananiah, a manufacturer of perfumes. They left out a section of Jerusalem as they built the broad wall. Rephiah, son of Hur, the leader of half the district of Jerusalem, was next to them on the wall. Next, Jediah, son of Haramoth, repaired the wall across from his own house, and next to him was Hattush, son of Hashabneah. Then came Malkiah, son of Haram, and Hashub, son of Pahath-Mohab, who repaired another section of the wall and the Tower of the Ovens. Shalom, son of Haluhesh, and his daughters repaired the next section. He was the leader of the other half of the district of Jerusalem. The valley gate was repaired by the people from Zanoah, led by Hanun. They set up its doors and installed its bolts and bars. They also repaired the 1,500 feet of wall to the dung gate. The dung gate was repaired by Malkiah, son of Rechab, the leader of the Beth Hakarim district. He rebuilt it, set up its doors, and installed its bolts and bars. The fountain gate was repaired by Shalom, son of Kolhose, the leader of the Mizpah district. He rebuilt it, roofed it, set up its doors, and installed its bolts and bars. Then he repaired the wall of the Pool of Siloam near the king's garden, and he rebuilt the wall as far as the stairs that descend from the city of David. You may be seated. Okay, what's going on here? See, one thing you learn here at Hope City Church is that everybody has a place and a purpose. And Joel's purpose, being a linguist, was to read Nehemiah 3. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That's why you get to know people you go to, you go to church with. You're like, pastor, a couple days ago, I was like, hey, we want you to speak. It's a bloodbath. So good luck with Nehemiah 3. And I was like, I got a guy. I got a guy. So we are in our fourth week of How to Begin Again, where we are talking about, uh, hey, you know what, by the, by the way, let me stop real quick. My name is Joe. Hello, everyone. Some of you all know me, some of you don't. I get to serve here as one of the pastors uh, of Hope City Church, and I'm so glad that I get to be a part of our service today. So much has already happened, some amazing worship, recognizing uh, students, young men uh, going in and, and finding their calling and taking the next step in life. And then now we get to share our time together, reading God's word and seeing what, what God has for us today. And so I, I apologize. I got a little out of order, but I'm excited to be here. So, so we are learning about rebuilding and building and, and trying again. And you know what? That's easier uh, said than done because honestly, we are our, our most predominant critic 
often after failure, we, we find it very difficult to, to try again. I know when I fail, I, I usually feel cynical or defeated. But God's word tells us in Proverbs 24, 16, that this, that the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. They figure out how to begin again. Uh, and today we're reading a story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, this book in the Old Testament, it is a memoir. It is journal entries of this man named Nehemiah who did something great. Uh, we're using his notes to learn principles of how we can start over. And so for the past three weeks, just to get you caught up, so far we've talked about taking ownership. We've talked about asking God for help. And the last week, Nehemiah started the process. He got busy getting to work. And this week, in week four, we see that Nehemiah, he calls the workers to the walls. He calls the workers to the walls. Nehemiah was calling himself and the people of God to restore and repair God's glory. See, Nehemiah, his job was that he was a, a cupbearer, but he was also a man that fasted and prayed to God. He fasted and prayed about his homeland, about his ancestors, about how the city he loved and God loved was in ruins. Nehemiah, see, he took responsibilities for the sins and mistakes of God's people, the consequences of their actions. And then Nehemiah went to the king and asked him for permission and provision to start the rebuilding process of Jerusalem. Nehemiah's memoir is this firsthand narrative that tells us the most important, essential thing of Nehemiah's life, and that was the work he did for God. So we don't know much else about Nehemiah. We, we know that his father, uh, his name was, I'm no Joel, but I'll try, Hachalal, there you go, that guy. <laughs> but you know why we know this? He could have wrote his dad's name was Steve, and we'd have been fine. We know this because Nehemiah wrote it in the book. It's the very first line of Nehemiah chapter 1 and 1. It doesn't talk about who his dad was, what he did. He doesn't talk about he was a family of influence or position. It just said that, hey, this is who I am. And so Nehemiah, number one, was a servant. And he used his position, the influence that God gave him, to bring the Jewish people to order, stability, and to put a proper focus back on God. Nehemiah's story shows us the significant impact that an individual can make for the kingdom of God. So I want you to think about this just for a moment. As we talk about Nehemiah's life, if you were to write your own memoir, telling the story about the most essential part of your life, what would you write? What would your story be about? How you raised your kids, how you married your college sweetheart, how God blessed you and you came, overcame some crazy adversity that changed your family tree, or would you write about how you served God? Nehemiah would say the most significant thing he did was pray fast and work to restore Jerusalem. His sole concern was one thing, and that was the glory of God. We read this in Nehemiah 2.17 in his own words. He says, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. This is his battle cry. This is what he is about. If he had a mission statement, this is what it was. But see, I want you to take just a second when we think of this phrase that I said, and that is the word glory. And don't think of it like in, in a famous way or like celebrities say it, this cliche of like, I just give God all the glory. And you're like, do you? 
Like, that's not, what, but that's not really what we're talking about. See, in the Old Testament times in the Bible, the glory of God, it describes the presence and his personhood, the presence and person of God. You think about the glory of God in, in the Old Testament, or you think about the glory of God in the desert providing a path and a light for the people of Israel. It's the glory of God, it, it literally showed up like a cloud. The cloud, it, it was his presence. It, this is when the, the, the cloud, when it was there, that meant that God was there. And the same was for the temple in Jerusalem. People went to the temple, why? Because God was there. God's glory, his person, it dwelled there. And in God's person and in his presence, we learn what? We learn his personality. In God's presence, we, we hear his voice. When I think of God's glory and I think of how the people heard his voice, I think about Moses and how he would go up on the mountains in the desert and he would meet God face to face. Moses knew what it was like to be in front of God and be in his presence. That song, Hunting the Rock, that we just sang, that is a prayer that Moses prayed to the people of Israel right before he died. Hey, don't forget, God's so good. He provides for us. He provides honey from the rock. See, Nehemiah, he had this passion. He had this to see and experience God's glory. So where we're at in the story right now is 140 years, the walls of Jerusalem, they laid in ruin. They were destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar. This gives me a second to take a pause and think about this. See, the walls were torn down, disrepaired for four generations. This massive failure that would point, laid out in front of everyone as a disgrace, publicly shaming the people of God. This place that was meant to be a place to house God's very presence here, laid broken and in disrepair. What about you? What about in your life? What lays ruined right now? Is it a failed business? Broken relationships? Loss of sobriety? Trying to start over after a marriage come undone? Dropping out of college? Putting on weight? A spiritual growth that seems non-existent or dry? What is that thing for years in your life that feels like a pile of rubble? Something you want to climb over, but you just can't. That one thing that you once hoped would bring happiness or fulfillment or joy is now just a place of disappointment and heartache. Well, I have a question. It's this. What if beginning again, this time, was for the glory of God? What if beginning again, again this time, was for the glory of God? If like Nehemiah, you went to the broken things in your life, not just to repair and restore them, but to build God's glory. The things that you would do in your life were meant to bring and call out the presence of God right where you were at. Instead of trying a new business model, your mission statement was focused on bringing God glory. Instead of just getting sober because you were tired of being a disappointment or feeling ashamed, every decision from this point on was meant and made to bring God glory. Your education, your marriage, your emotional and spiritual health, all focused on bringing the presence of God. Inviting God into everything we do and doing everything for God is how we can experience God in every moment. See, the non-Jewish people of Nehemiah's day, they loved to point out how ruined Jerusalem was, 
how awful it was, the condition it was in. They, they, they mock them openly. I would say the people of this world we live in are just like those people today. They mock us. Oh, you're going to begin again, again? And they just question and doubt you. I was reminded this week driving my daughter around, the hater's going to hate, 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 hate. <laughs> Taylor Swift is a prophet. See, being negative is our culture. I'm just painting with a broad brush, but you know, it's, you, you feel refreshed when someone's not negative. You're like, whoa, someone woke up on the right side of the bed this morning. We just are conditioned to be negative and negative and negative. But what about thinking about this? When starting over, it can be hard. It can be hard to trust God. God, I thought you were a plan of purpose. Why is it not the way it was supposed to be? God, you, you put people around my life, but I still failed. Why do I trust them now? How can I trust someone else? I get it. Starting over is a big decision. Inviting people into the process, it seems messy. It, it, it seems counterintuitive. It seems really difficult when you go the second, the third, the fourth, the tenth time to say, hey, I need help, or hey, I'm going to start over. But what about instead of listening to your cynical self and doubters? You listen to God. What about this time? Instead of relying on your own strength, you brought other people with you along the journey. What if this time you didn't do it alone? We just read it a few minutes ago. I want to read it again. You ready? Proverbs 24, 16, it says this, the godly may trip seven times, but who? They will get up again. You're not alone. You are not the first person to make a mistake. You're, you're not the first person to, to mess up two, three, four, five times. It says the godly, they will get up. What if beginning again, again this time, you invited God and the people of God into rebuilding? See, Nehemiah's leadership here found in chapter 3, it goes about rebuilding and restoring the walls of Jerusalem for his glory. See, these walls were meant for protection. But they also did something else. They represented a physical presence of God's kingdom, improving and advancing and growing. It was an establishment to the Jewish people that God was up to something. God was moving, rebuilding, and repurposing his temple. Something was happening. When the people, when God begins to move, the people of God begin to believe. Isn't that so true? When I see you doing better, it makes me feel like I can do better. When I see you get back up, I think I can get back up. When I see someone in their life celebrating years of sobriety, celebrate years of marriage, celebrating prosperity, they serve the same God, which makes me believe that God can do it for me too. So it's a beautiful thing about being the people of God is that we can have the people of God around us. I, I want to use Jesus' own words here in John 12, and it says this, when I am lifted up from the whole earth, I will draw everyone to myself. See, Jesus was alluding to his physical resurrection here in John 12, but for you and me and the people of God, the people of, of this church, the people of God's church, when we lift up the name of Jesus, what happens? The sick will be healed. Marriages are strengthened. Darkness gives way to light. Families are restored. The bound and enslaved are set free. Children come home. The impossible becomes impossible. And blessings will extend beyond thousand generations. And that is our call. 
That is our call to believe when someone wants to begin again again, that we as the church stand beside them, put God at the center of it, and go with them so that we can believe and see God to move. And so in the time that we have left, I just want to just look at three things that Nehemiah calls out to, for the workers to the walls. Are y'all with me? It's usually a couple laughs right now, but I'm just trying, I'm really pumped about it. I'm really serious because I think that God is trying to do something and move in people's lives. And I think that the principles that Nehemiah shows us here, that it's, it, these are things that we can do and impact our life so that we can begin again. So Nehemiah calls out three things to the workers and it is position and purpose to repair and rebuild and to use bolts and bars. So two of those make sense. But what about that last one? It's last for a reason. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Nehemiah, see, he faced great challenges. But you know what he had? A greater faith in God. See, Nehemiah, he would accomplish very little if he tried to do it by himself. See, he needed people to help him to rebuild the walls. Nehemiah, see, he was a leader that had a plan, and he worked that plan. And this is a great example for us to follow. And so the first thing that Nehemiah does, the first thing that he teaches us is that everyone has a position and a purpose. During, when Joel was reading, he read out 38 individual workers, and he also read out 42 different groups that are identified. But Nehemiah, there were many, many more workers and many more positions that were not named. They worked anonymously, but they still made an impact. So know that we're working towards God's glory, not our own. So don't feel like you get overlooked or you get, over, you get uh, passed over because somebody doesn't recognize you. Know that like, you're working for God's glory, right? And so Nehemiah would not have been the leader he was if he did not call out the position and purpose of these chosen people. See, he called out the priest to the sheep gates. The sheep gates were used to bring sacrifices in. They were used at the temple. So the priest knew all the rules and regulations. So they had a specific spot. Could you imagine a shepherd raising a sheep the whole time for it only to get damaged at the gate? The fish gate, it was where the merchants would bring in the fish and they had the soldiers that would protect it because this was the economy of the walls. This was the economy of the cities. There's the old gate, the valley gate, the dung gate, the fountain gate, and more and more positions that Nehemiah handed out, some by name and, and some by groups. And this is to let us know that every one of us has a position and a purpose, a calling, for God's city, for God's glory. And so what is that? What have you been asking God? Or have you been asking God? God, what is my position? God, what is my purpose? What is the greatest place that I can start for when I begin again? I wrote down some questions for me. It's like, God, very simply, where do you want me? God, what is the purpose you have for this new chapter in my life? And the last one I wrote down for myself too is, God, I will need to develop and grow the gifts you've given me. What are they? See, when we see these, this group of God's people linked together, they, they achieved this common goal. When Nehemiah went to the king and asked for permission to rebuild the city, he, he took the king's blessing and then he called others to him. He called them out to put in their hearts the things that God had put in his heart. And there, there are so many things there's something that everyone in the room needs to know today, and is this, that you can't do it all, the burden's too great, and your strength is fleeting. We need, we need each other. Right. And see, Nehemiah is a great example of, of Jesus in this moment. 
Nehemiah is a great example of the Holy Spirit in this moment. Nehemiah went to the king and got all the provisions and everything he needed and brought it back and gave it to the people. And that is us. We go through the power of the Holy Spirit to Jesus and say, God, I need you. What provisions can you give me? You, the Bible says that, that, that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father ever interceding for us on our behalf. God, I need whatever your greatest need is. We go to him and ask for it. He provides for us. And so we go through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this is what we remember is when we go to begin again, it's better to do it together. It's better to go with God. It's better to go with other believers. It's better to go through the power of the Holy Spirit to go when you begin again. You know, that could be serving here at the church. That could be cooking a meal for a sick friend. That could be uh, being available to a grieving friend. They could be cutting your neighbor's grass, but it could also be some other difficult things and trusting a leader or a counselor and helping you restore your marriage. That could be asking an elder or someone that's raised kids how to, how to raise kids. That could be finding a sponsor to ask you, hey, will you keep me accountable in my sobriety? That is the actual work of the church today. Yes, it is to bring the good news of Jesus to the people, but here's why. We tell everybody about Jesus. We live our example. We live our life like Jesus. So what? So that people can believe, belong, and become more like Jesus. Good. And so that's what Nehemiah and the people of God were doing. They were rebuilding this place together with God and each other. And so God has you positioned, and he has a purpose for you. Paul tells us in Colossians 3, it says this. It says, whatever you do in word and deed, do it in the name of the Lord giving thanks for him through our Father. God is calling us today to be a light in a dark place, bringing us to show his goodness in the things that are unknown and unseen. Why? So that he may be glorified. And so through our position and through our, um, through our purpose, we are to glorify God. The second thing that Nehemiah shows the people is that they are to repair and rebuild I don't know about you, but I know when I feel like I want to start over, I want to begin again again, it's like gasoline and a match are my two favorite tools. But that's not what, that's not what Nehemiah told them. It was to repair and to, to rebuild. See, the people of, Nehemiah, the people of Jerusalem, they, they finished this difficult task of starting over because they listened to their leader. They listened and kept their eyes on what Nehemiah and God had called them to do. I know for me, like, when I want to start over, I don't start over. I start over. Like, I throw it away. Like, I got flower beds in my front yard I've been working on for three weeks. I just rip them all the way out. Because right. it wasn't just a pruning. It was, I got to tear them all the way out. So we had some gutters put in our house. I didn't like it. I dug new ditches because I want to make sure it was right. Like, <laughs> but what's repair and rebuild? No, it's like start over. Right. But, like, Nehemiah is not telling them it's a full wholesale light a match and start over. It's to repair and to rebuild. And so when you're beginning again, you've got to remember to stay focused on what you're called to. You're called to repair and rebuild. You know, God, if God called you to be a rocket scientist, great. But if he called you to work at McDonald's, don't worry about rocket scientists. Just do what he's got you doing, right? And so this section of Nehemiah's memoir, there's no doubt. It's very clear what it's about. 33 times he uses the words repair or rebuild. And the word rebuild 
and for us in, in this restoration project that God's people were doing, it meant one thing, that there was no new material needed. See, in the debris, in the ruins, in the rubbles, laid the materials required to start again. And this is true for you as well. When you decide, you ask God to come into your situation, to rebuild your life, when you stay focused on God, you are already equipped with everything you need to start over. You are equipped for the task at hand. Now listen, you may not feel equipped. Anybody ever tried something new? It's a process. It is. Like, when I, when I start something new, I, I feel foolish. I feel out of sorts. Often I feel like a failure. I'm not good at something new. And I'm definitely not good. If I've already felt it at once, guess what? I wasn't good at the first time. So now I'm probably not good at it the second time. But it is a process. It's a process. I already quoted Paul once. I'm going to do it again. He's a really smart guy. In Philippians 4.19, it tells us this. And the same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs according to your riches and glories. And he's given it to us through Christ Jesus. When I'm going to repair or rebuild something, I go to God and ask him how to do it and then trust him to give me the things I need to, to rebuild. The rebuilding process, it, it takes time and it takes effort. I don't know about you, but I know for me, the biggest, the biggest roadblock for me to, to rebuild and restart something else is cynicalness and, and self-doubt. See, it's hard for me to remember that Genesis 1 happened before Genesis 3. In Genesis 1, we're created as the image of God. In Genesis 3 is where we fail. I think of myself more as a failure than I do as a creation. It looks just like a holy God. But through Christ, I look more and more like God every day and less and less like my sin. It's our own brokenness in this world that tricks us to believe that we are incapable, less than, unworthy, than having the life that God wants for us. The other word that's in this section is this, the word repair. You know what the word repair means? It means to make strong. Nehemiah, he wasn't interested in a, in a quick fix. The people of God were working to rebuild the city of God for his glory. So he called them to do what? Their best work. So when beginning again and repairing broken areas of our life, what do we need to do is we don't need to get it done fast. We need to do it good. See, the temptation is, is when I have a fight with Karen, we just go on a date night, fixed it. You know, you know what a quick, you know, the, de you know the definition of a, you know the definition of a quick fix is? Flex seal. You know, flex seal, whap. The dude just puts that duct tape on a like 80 gallons of water and he built that boat and he's like, I fixed it. And you're like, no, you didn't, because if it worked, they'd sell it at Lowe's, not on TV. I'm just saying. <laughs> Your boss is a jerk. You're unhappy. What do you do? I quit. I'm out. That's what's happening in our culture right now. Everybody's like, I'm out. Somebody's going to pay $5 more. I'm out. I'll just go get another job. Is that the fix, though? Because you know what happens at every job you don't like? You go there. Is it the job? I don't know. For me, another one that's very true is our swimming trunks. I put them away, they fit last season. Now some, they shrunk in the dresser. They did. So you know what that means? We're going to the lake in three days. It's oatmeal and water. That's it. Like, I go on a prison diet. You know, I, the, tendency of quick, the tendency of quick fix hit me Saturday. All right, my kids, we're home, and I'm trying to be like super dad, so we have to do something. So it's like, hey, we need to do something. My kids, not athletic. They're creative, and God's blessed them in many ways, but it is not physically, okay? 
My kid, Kai's thumbs are like a beast though, Xbox. Anyway, so we just, I was like, hey, we're going to go for a walk. I'm dad. I make the rules, get in the car. We're walking the bridge. We're going to Indiana. We're going to have some lunch. We're going to come back. And a mile and a half on the bridge, I had this brilliant idea to fix my kids like, like being lethargic. I was like, every Friday in the summer is five mile Friday. We're going to walk five miles every Friday together. It's going to be amazing. All three of my kids like Paul's turned around. I was like, are you crazy? (laughs) Quick fixes never work. We probably gonna make it a two mile Tuesday. Like it's not going to happen, right? (laughs) What I have learned, what I've learned as I've gotten older is what is this, is that quick fixes are a sham. Quick fixes, they, they fail us all too often. You're right back where you were or worse or worse. They never deliver. They cost you more time, more money, and more work. So listen, so when you decide and you put it in your heart, God, this time I'm ready to start over. We want to work to make things strong. And it's called a repair. I just thought about this this morning. I was walking and just thinking, I was like, you know, Lowe's, it's called home improvement, not home perfect. Okay. So all you people like me in the room that need everything perfect, let's just work for better. Let's just work for stronger because perfection's only going to come one day. And that's when we see the Lord. Okay. So no more quick, no more quick fixes, but the building that we're building, just like the people of Nehemiah's day, layer by layer, working the walls of Jerusalem, stone by stone by stone, moment by moment by moment, we need to rebuild areas in our life with God's purpose in mind. And we do that so we can see the glory of God in our life. When we invite God in, guess what? He shows up, and then we get to recognize him. I remember a few months ago when I preached about prayer. Why do you, why do you pray to God about parking spaces? Because when you get it, he answered. When we trust God in every moment, he delivers. When we trust God for nothing, he doesn't have an opportunity to prove himself. And so it's in these moments when I start over, God, you're with me. God, you're going before me. And I know you're going to do it because you're with me. Your word says you will. So Nehemiah, he calls the workers to the walls, and he calls them for a position and a purpose. He calls them to rebuild and repair. And the last thing he calls them for, he calls them to bolts and bars. I don't know if you caught this or not. Matthew, go ahead and bring it up here. I don't know if you caught this or not. He, he called it for, for bolts and bars. I'm just going to read. I'm going to read one, one section. It's in 15. It says, the fountain gate was repaired by Shal- uh, Sal- Shalom. Thank you, Joel. Son of Cole Hoser. And a couple other people. Here's what he did. <laughs> Listen, here's, here's what Shalom did. Ready? He rebuilt it. He roofed it, he set up its doors, and he installed the bolts and bars. And then he repaired the walls of the pools of Shalom. See these bolts and these bars? When I was looking at it, I'm like, what is this? What are these bolts and bars? And why does Nehemiah keep telling us over and over that they had bolts and bars at the gates? They had bolts and bars at the gates. Well, the bolts and bars were literally like the, the club on your Corolla? Nobody? All right. The bolts and bars were meant to bar the door shut on the gate. So if this is my gate, their bolts and your bars went across the gate from the inside. And you were to put the bolt and bar and lock your gate. And see, the bolts and bars are to secure the things that God has given you. 
The bolts and bars are for you to secure the things that God has been rebuilding in your life. The bolts and bars are for your calling, your purpose of bringing God glory. The bolts and bars are for your family. They're for your church family. See, we go and, and we do the work. We, we do the, the deeds of the rebuilding process. But then God right here at the very moment when we're done rebuilding, he tells us, now remember, keep hold, keep safe what you've been working on. See, we rebuild and, and we begin again. But you know what? If you, if you hold on, maybe this time you won't have to rebuild. Maybe if I lock this gate this time, I won't have to rebuild. You know, I, I was thinking about it. And, and Solomon, he says this in Psalm, uh, King Solomon, he says in, in, in Psalm uh, 127.1, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, and the worker, then, the work of the, <laughs> then the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects the city, guarding it with centuries is no good. See, if we forget the time, that all the work that we've done, and we forget the Lord, then everything that we've done was pointless. I don't know about you, but I know many times in my life, you know, I'm, I'm back here, and God, you're in my center of my life, and God, I love you, and you've done so many things for me. You're so good. My job got better. And then my marriage got a little weird, and then my kids came, and I'm just busier and busier and busier, and I forget what God done for me. And next thing you know, I've walked through the gates that God's provided for me, and I'm outside his protection. I see, then I have to go, okay, now I'm back. Okay, God, you've got my kids. God, you've got my family. God, let me give you my marriage again. God, let me make sure that my life's centered on you. This, not again. So I place this bolt and this bar on this gate, and I lock it because I want to remember what God has done for me. And the beautiful thing about the bolt and the bar is this is where did he lock it? From the inside. So when the doors are shut and the gates, when people were traveling, the city didn't look walled off. It didn't look like it wasn't accessible. You could, kill, you could still come and knock. You could still come and, and see if it was open. So it's not to say, hey, I need to wall off the world and be unavailable. It isn't to say, hey, I don't trust you, or, or you're not, you can't come through this door, or you're not allowed over here. You, you, have to be, you have to present ourselves to where we are available, but yet we still have to protect what God has given us, right? right? Yeah, okay. And so that's the, that's the gatekeeper's decision, to lock and unlock the doors, to let in and let out. You know, I was just thinking about some of the gates, right? So there's, there's the fountain gate. We'll talk about that here in a second. But there's the sheep gate. I mentioned it earlier. And that's the, that was where the priest would let the, let the sacrifices in. The Sheep Gate reminds me of like the Hope City Church. We need to let the door open. We need to be able to let people come in, experience the grace of God. There's another, there was another gate. It's called the Valley Gate. The Valley Gate was represent just like the valley that's, that's mentioned in Psalm 23. This is the peace and the presence of God that people get to walk through. It's not a scary place. This is a place of protection. There was the Dung Gate. Y'all know what that word means? You know why that gate's there? Some things got to go. You got to, but you know what? It's these, every one of these, I, there's so many other gates. There's an old gate that's, it's in a new place. It's all kind of stuff. But listen, these gates all have purpose. God is in his provision to let us know in this story that there is this gate that some things aren't meant to be in our, there's some things, you know, what's funny too, is the dung gate had a gate, had a bolt and a bar on it too. It, it, it was meant to be one way. I let you out, stay out. This, you got to leave. You can't stay here. The last gate that I want to talk to you about is right here in 13. 
It, it, it's where Salom, he, he rebuilt it, he roofed it, he set the doors, he installed the bolts and the bars, and he repaired it, and he did it by the pool of Salom. This is important because you never know when you start to rebuild again and again how God's going to use it. You never know that like this rebuilding process, you may think it's for your purpose, but you know how much greater that God could use it. See, because this city stayed up, and it stayed up until 70 AD when the Romans destroyed it. But through the time from when uh, Nehemiah rebuilt it, we read in John 9, 6 and 7, and then he spit in the ground, made mud with saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. And then he told him, go and worship in the pool of Siloam. And the man went and washed and came back and seen. Your calling and your work isn't just for you. It's for the people of God so they can experience the presence of God. You'll never know how God can use you when you allow God and his presence to be in your life. When you position your work and his purpose, when you say, hey, I'm ready to restore and rebuild and make strong what you have given me, you'll never know how he'll be able to use that. So I'm done band. Y'all can go ahead and, and make your way up. But that's what I want to think about right now as we transition out is, is, is what in your life where you've rebuilt and you began and began again that you need to put a bolt and a bar on? What do you need to protect? What has God given you that you need to say not again? The greatest thing, the greatest thing that we could do is never have to rebuild again. If we hold on to what God's given us and we, we, we protect it. You know, I've, I've talked a lot about work and, and doing things for God. And, and please hear me. I'm not saying that you have to fear or be worried about losing your salvation or having to prove yourself to God. That's not what I'm talking about. The beautiful thing about Jesus and, and following him is that it's an invitation to participate. He's inviting us in, asking us to, to give him in the glory and, and bring his life to this earth so that people can experience his presence. And so I'm going to pray for us. And, and here in a moment, our prayer team is going to come down front and they're going to believe with you. If there's anything in your life that may feel like you need to ask God to begin again or, or an area of your life where you feel like maybe your gate has been weakened and you need somebody to stand and agree and say, hey, I'm ready to shut this door. Or maybe a sickness in your body or whatever, where there's people here that are going to pray and believe with you. And also, we're going to set up communion. They're going to put it down here in the front. They're also going to put it in the back. And that's just where we come together, as Jesus told us, to remember him. Remember what he'd done for us. Remember that he broke his body, that we may receive healing, and that his blood was shed, so that may we may be right, made, made right in the image of God, and we may receive grace. And so, let me pray. God, I just thank you for this opportunity. God, I thank you for the example of Nehemiah. God, that you have called us to a position and a purpose. God, that you don't ask us to do just difficult things, God, but you call us to repair and strengthen ourselves, Lord. God, that you bring us provision to do that. And so, God, I just ask that you would just uh, be with us in this moment. God, just like Nehemiah, would you, um, would you come into this room? God, would you show your glory to the people that need to see it? God, would you give hope to the people that need to rebuild again? God, maybe there's someone in the room today that needs to start over. Maybe there's a marriage or a family or 
Maybe it's someone who's unsure of their next step. Holy Spirit, would you just speak to them? God, there's people that are on a process, on a journey. God, strengthen them to know and to remember why you've set their foot. God, the, the plan and the purpose that you've given them. And so, God, I just say that you would just be with us in these moments. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.